Hello and welcome to Two Two Guys, a podcast about dance hosted by dancers. My name is Keelan, and this week on the show we have a very special guest, Jarrah Wolf. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You've got a really cool name. You ever think about that? Yeah, I've been told that a few times, and and uh, something that's also really interesting about my my I guess in your words, cool name is it, it's a little bit of a mistake. Um, it, it's it's taken from a rune book. Uh, so it's a rune. It was actually used by Vikings. And, and it's like this, these two peace symbols that come together and it means beneficial outcomes. So if you were to go to a sage and you were to draw Jera, you know, you'd have a good harvest if you were a farmer or something like that. Like your next season of crop would be really well. So my dad really loved that. And he wanted to name me Jera, but it's Icelandic. So it would actually be pronounced Jera, but it's Jera. <laughs> and that's, and that's my name. So my, my mistake name is kind of a made me a little bit more interesting I think it's like a name that uh like a young adult fiction writer would dream of coming up with you know like Gerald <laughs> Wolf yeah yeah he's the main guy in my new trilogy yeah. okay so I have sent you messages twice in the last month both times I saw your dance film Soul which was presented as part of the National Ballet of Canada's most recent mixed program mm-hmm. it was in lieu of intermission. I don't remember ever being to a show before where they just said, hey, we're just going to skip intermission and do a movie instead. And there was an energy to the place that felt like everybody seemed so happy to be back at the theater that it almost made sense that there was a film during the space. Mm -hmm. Like we've been gone for so long. Let's just stay and do more art. (laughs) Yeah. And both times I came home and messaged you right away. We're going to talk about that. You've also done lots of other interesting things as well. I have to say Soul was phenomenal. But before we get into that, why don't you hit us with the resume? Well, I was born in Toronto. My family moved around a lot. I started dancing in Kelowna, British Columbia, uh, actually as a b-boy. And I would do that at lunches. So that was my thing that I would do with my friends. And uh, I found myself in hip-hop classes and then jazz classes. And then I actually started doing more classical work in ballet, which to be very honest, I almost had to be forced into. (laughs) It wasn't something I I really wanted to do. But then I found myself auditioning and coming to the BAMP Center, which is actually where I am ironically right now. So I was here when I was 14 and I did a summer program and that got me really interested in ballet. And I think it was because I realized just how serious it was. And I was also around other male dancers. So it was extremely inspiring. From there, I just started auditioning everywhere. I even did a summer school at the National Ballet School, which is where we met. That would have been probably around 2006. Right, yeah. (laughs) And I ended up at the Royal Winnipeg Ballet School. So that's where things really got serious for me. I did two years before graduating. I went to Toronto and I actually competed on So You Think You Can Dance, where I got, it felt like a year's worth of experience in one month. And that was very amazing too, because it was so different from what I knew from the concert world going somewhere very commercial. And then I actually kind of, I I don't want to use the word failed, but I, I I wasn't really successful as a freelance artist in Toronto after that, after the show, you know, things didn't really work out that well for me. I didn't get a lot of jobs. So I went back to Winnipeg and I did about another year and a half of training with their post-secondary program. And I had a partner at the time and she wanted to go to Germany And I said, heck, I'm going to go to Germany too. And I'm going to try to find work. And I went to Germany. I got a six month sort of visa, travel visa. And literally like 
the day, like when my visa had expired, I booked a job with Disney's Tarzan musical. Wow. And I always say that I think, I think Disney's Tarzan kind of saved my career because I think I would have went home. I would have went back to Canada and, you know, pursued something else and maybe, maybe just stopped dancing altogether there. So was it German Tarzan? Yeah, it was. It was in German? Yeah, it was in German. So I was singing in German on stage and and, uh, we, we did aerial in the show. So I was flying, I was about 20 meters up on a bungee and it was just the most incredible job I've ever worked. Uh, I, I think we did, I almost did 200 of the same show every, every uh, I think it was eight shows a week. And, you know, surprisingly enough, it was still incredible, but I knew there was something else, you know, I needed to do. And at the same time, you know, I was actually coming to the Banff Center and taking part in the Indigenous Dance Residency. So that would have been the year 2010. And I did that for another almost five summers in a row. And that is where I started to learn about myself as an Indigenous artist, as someone who is of Métis heritage, as a dancer as well, and as a dancer who got to be mentored in choreography. You know, the first year it was, you know, choreograph a two-minute work. Then the next year it was choreograph a five-minute work. And it just kept going up and up and up. It can be quite scary sometimes because uh, some choreographers get their first big thing and it kind of comes out of nowhere and it can be overwhelming, you know, but I feel like I've been put in a very gentle and nurturing environment to sort of get to where I am today. I, I co-choreographed a work backbone with Sandra Laurent, who was the director of the Indigenous Dance Residency at the time, who was also the director of Red Sky Performance. And we, uh, we presented it at Canadian Stage in Toronto. And the summer before that, I had choreographed Migas, a work for Red Sky Performance that we took to Jacob's Pillow. And this was all happening really quickly. So some of my first few choreographic works were, you know, going to places like Canadian Stage and Jacob's Pillow and Fall for Dance North. So it was almost like a lot of these higher profile moments for me right out of the gate, it seemed like. But of course, after years of practice, but, but even still, it was really nice for me to seem like I had a little bit of a jump start into everything, especially since I was coming back to Toronto, it felt really nice, you know? Yeah. Like looking through your resume, I saw a lot of the word national and the word Royal for one, but mm-hmm. I saw like a lot of companies. So companies you've worked with mm-hmm. national ballet of Canada, national ballet school of Canada, Royal Winnipeg ballet, the national arts center to name a few not to mention all the companies you've been a part of. So you've worked for Red Sky, you've done Jacob's Pillow, Canadian Stage, Banff Center. When you think about the whole scope from starting b-boying in British Columbia to having your dance film with National Ballet of Canada and having a residency in these different places, what's that connection like? How does that feel when you wake up in the morning and that's your reality? Well, you know, in a really special way, it makes me feel like it was all worth it. You know, I remember breaking down in Germany and almost yeah just knowing that I had I had felt like I had lost you know I was literally going for a run I couldn't afford to go to the gym and I was going for runs and I just remember finding like running by uh I think it was like a kid's sort of play area of some sort and it was vacant there was no one there and I remember just sitting up on top of the slide and just like crying my eyes out hoping no one would walk by you know being like I I didn't make it you know I I worked you know 10 years to get here as a dancer and I didn't make it 
And then I said, okay, I can't do this to myself. And I just tried to keep going a little bit more. And then it seemed like I was getting rewarded little by little after that. And it was, I guess it just makes it all really worth it. You know, at the end of the day, I'm not really, I think I'm interested in being able to do what I love more than I am interested in, you know, seeing my name everywhere, if that makes sense. I think at the end of the day, I just want to be able to get lost in the studio and create works and work with dancers who challenge me and inspire me. I think that's what I really, you know, really drives me and really gets me going. So I was thinking I would save this story for a bit later, but I think maybe I'll just do it now. This all came from me sitting in the audience, NBOC, so the National Ballet of Canada, their executive director, Barry Hewson, he came out during intermission to intro the piece, right? Yeah. And he described a little bit about the video and how happy he was to have people back. But when he came to you, he said it was choreographed by Jarrah Wolf, a really exciting young artist that we're so happy to work with. And we expect big things to come for him. And I was like, damn, you just got co-signed in front of the city of Toronto by the National Ballet of Canada. And I knew you when you were a kid. And now NBOC is like, hey, this guy's got it. And I was like, whoa, really impacted. I think that was the tone of my second message to you the second time I saw it. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, um, do, you, like do you get how cool this is? <laughs> yeah, I have to be honest, that message was really special, especially because I wasn't there for this and I wasn't there for any of the yeah. performances. So there's something really, really special too about getting a message from someone you know you know, even though if we, I don't know you well, we knew each other when we were younger and it was my way to maybe celebrate what was going on, was maybe even hearing from you. And I heard from a couple other friends of mine who went and watched it and, and were, were surprised because they actually didn't expect to see my work up there or they were just so excited because they saw my name in the bill of the show that they wanted to go see. So obviously, as a, as a choreographer, I feel like that's something that's a really wonderful gift, you know, on top of being able to create, which is one of my favorite things, is to be able to create something that, you know, maybe moved or touched someone or inspired someone. Yeah, I can imagine that's probably one of like the highest kind of compliments or like the highest honors is to go, oh, like this really impacted you. Okay, good. Yeah. Like that's, that's the goal. Yeah. So why don't we talk a little bit about soul? Okay. Yeah. And we're not talking about the Disney film, which mm -hmm. is really good. <laughs> Go watch that soul as well. But this is soul choreographed by Jerry Wolf filmed by filmed and directed by Paul McNulty. It's like seven, eight minutes, right? Yeah. It's around seven, I believe. Yeah. Seven minutes. It feels like a full meal, <laughs> except that I would happily eat more. Like if it was, if there was like a, a director's cut that was like 38 minutes, I'd be like, hell yes, but it's beautiful. And so to my delight, it is also on YouTube. So if people want to go watch this, and I highly recommend they do that, they can see it on YouTube on the National Ballet of Canada's website. And we will link to that in the show notes. My first question is just, how did you make it so good? Well, I, I guess I... Let me, let, me, let me expand on that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The words that were like floating through my head as I watched, the words were like exquisite, resplendent. Mm -hmm. You know, when you see like Bolshoi Ballet doing Raimonda and it's perfect, you know, like it's just every single element or you have Levain Bakery in New York, their chocolate chip cookies. And you're like, oh, this is just perfect. Right? 
Yeah. I felt like every element of that dance film was exquisite. Like the choreography, first off, was seamless, silky smooth. The dancers were remarkable. Like they made everything flow perfectly. The filming, like the directing was remarkable. And like the shifting in between was so beautiful. And you'd see one couple in the back while one couple was dancing. And then the music was spellbinding. It was just like, oh, this is just like seven minutes. I just, I can't praise it enough, I think is clear. And so my question now with that context is, how did we make such a strong thing on every level? Like everybody brought their A game and it blended so well. What was some of the magic behind that? I think I had, or I like to think that I have a very clear idea of what I want moving into the studio. Like I had picked out that music by Max Richter, All Human Beings, that voiceless track. And I remember hearing from Karen and Christopher about this commission. And I remember just my, my excitement And it's like the moment I hear about a commission like that, I just, it's like, as it's like, I run to that music library and I find that special track that's going to, you know, facilitate exactly how I see it going. And I heard this track and I envisioned the dancers dancing to it, just like similar to how we, where we ended up actually. And the thing that was the most special about what I was seeing was the way they held each other. So I thought about that right away. And I'm like, I want a piece where they are holding each other a specific way. Like I want to see people embrace a specific way that really touches me. And that's why I thought about the idea of going out, you know, and people watching and seeing couples in real life, just that idea of seeing someone hold someone a certain way and being like, oh, that person knows that other person really well. Or, oh, they're fighting. Or, oh, they love each other. Or those moments when someone touches someone and it says so much more than just that physical action. It's almost like a book's worth of knowledge that's shared between one one moment of touch between two people. So I knew that that's what I really, really wanted. The choreography is important, but I think what I kept telling the dancers is it's the relationship between you two that's more important for me. If we can get past the choreography and we can focus in on each other, I think that's going to be the magic of this work. And so even when I was working with the dancers for the first 15 minutes, sometimes the last 15 minutes, I just had them hold each other. I turned on some nice soft music. I didn't even watch them sometimes. I just let them hold each other and breathe with with each other and rock back and forth and slowly pace throughout the room. I wanted them to be able to really feel each other and know each other so well that that could read on film, whatever that is. And that was the goal. And, and I'd hope to think that we were able to reach that a little bit. Do you have a story about how the collaboration with Paul McNulty worked? Were there conversations about how he would film it and which angle he should film from and which section he should film which couple or was that all done in the edit? I'd say there were certain things that I was real specific on. And I was like, I need you to capture it this way right here for this moment, regardless of that made it into the edit (laughs) in the process. When we were working on it, there was some really specific moments that I needed captured a certain way. But then the other 50% was completely Paul, you know, just doing what he does best. And I think when I work with artists 
in, in any capacity, I kind of like that type of relationship. I like to be clear on the things that I need, but I also like them to do what they do best and sometimes be left alone. And when I think about myself as a, a choreographer, sometimes I realize sometimes it's not just about the choreography. Sometimes it's about more like just managing people in the space and figuring out what's best for all of us. What's best for Paul? You know, it, it's sometimes not good to smother someone uh, and sort of micromanage because you realize that, you know, that they're, they're not going to produce their best work that way. And neither would I, you know, I've been in those environments where, you know, every little step is kind of controlled and it doesn't make for, you know, a rich artistic sort of environment. So I'd say it's about 50, 50. And, you know, that editing process was another, another process that I, I loved, but also I realized I was a bit of a perfectionist you know, but I didn't know that until we got into the editing process. And I realized that there was a lot of things that I needed a certain way. And we kind of went back and forth and, and Paul was so accommodating and so professional, but there was a moment where I felt nervous. I was like, oh my goodness, Paul is literally going to just not pick up the phone. If I call him one more time. With one right. more right. <laughs> right. Well, really everybody go check that out. It's on YouTube. Check the show notes. It is so lovely. I'm going to watch it again for sure. Thinking back to your first forays into creating works as compared to now, is there something that you still do? Something that you could see back then that you were like, oh man, I love really physical work or, you know, I love going to the ground or like something that was evident in you immediately. But also, do you have something that is entirely different that you've flipped like 180 since you started? I think something that I was always trying to reach or obtain was being different. I don't know if that makes any sense or doing something different. So that was something I wanted to do at the beginning. And of course, that was extremely hard to, to be different, to be original. Um, I remember working on specific movements where the person is almost bent in half but then dancing almost as if you would do like a hamstring stretch, but dancing that way. And, you know, choreographing movements that are inspired by, uh, it could be even some sort of martial art or anime or even music or even just feelings. So I think originally I was always interested in trying to create something different, which really helped because the vocabulary of choreography I have is obviously pulled from so many different people that I, I was inspired by. So I knew right away, okay, I can create choreography that is similar to maybe others, but, but how do I be different? You know? So I think that focus on that early on really helped and then I never really thought about that because I just started choreographing more or less the way I really like to, you know, I'm in love with partner work. Like I, on stage, it's always been something that's made me feel really comfortable. I, I feel more comfortable behind someone than I did, you know, as a soloist, especially when I was younger and starting in choreography, I felt much better as a partner. That was something that I was always probably strongest at as a dancer. So I'd like to pride myself on my choreography because I have a really nice understanding for body and how to move bodies in space with each other. Um, so that's one thing that I, that I really love. Would you say that you can still feel the influences of like B-boy, like breakdancing stuff? Oh, completely. And that, 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 you know, all the, that B-boy work goes into my floor work. 
You know, that is so much a part of my floor work. And, and also I remember a lot of the partnering things we would do as B-boys with others sort of like in locked, like handstands together and different types of moves. So I think about that too, within my, within my partnering and within the floor work. And and that's actually where I was getting to. I was just going to say the diversity in my training is really what has helped sort of give me a broader sort of spectrum of movements to pull from. Yeah, I can, I can only imagine that that would benefit you because if you're trying to be different, the more things you can incorporate, not even incorporate, integrate, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The better, right? The more dynamic and different you're going to be. Are you familiar with the term glossolalia? No. It's this practice mm-hmm. of like gibberish talking, right? Like mm-hmm. turning the conscious mind off and just making noises, right? Right. It's the idea of like you tune out and you just speak the language of the universe. Mm-hmm. But studies show that they're limited to the language that they know. So they're mm-hmm. not going to make sounds from other languages, you know, that are distinct to other regions. So even at your most creative, you are limited by the languages you speak. And so the more languages you speak, the more you can communicate and the more interesting and dynamic you can make that language. So that's kind of how I see it, which I think is really cool because the diversity like all the different things that you've put together that maybe at some point looked like, you know, maybe I'm behind in my ballet because I took so long doing mm-hmm. other stuff, but then it comes so handy. How cool is that? It's yeah. You, you articulated it perfectly. I feel like I couldn't be more grateful for that B-boy training, which I was, you know, I was cursing when I was in ballet school because my upper body was quite built there were certain things about me that like, and movement qualities that were taken from that, that wasn't benefiting my classical work, but I couldn't be more grateful now. So it's, you know, you, you, like I said, you articulated it perfectly. And I think that having that diversity in training has truly benefited my choreographic language, my vocabulary. Speaking of an amalgamation of many different dance styles, you were on So You Think You Can Dance Canada, season three, top 16. Let's talk about that a little bit. You alluded to earlier that it was like a year of training or learning compacted into oh, yeah. a shorter span of time. Oh, yeah. Why don't you walk us through a couple of So You Think You Can Dance highlights? I, I really think that So You Think You Can Dance uh, gave me so many tools that have actually really helped me um, in, in my career right now. And I actually only made it to top 18 uh, there was 22 in our year, which is which is not, yeah, I saw that. not normal. Usually it's only 20, but we had a big year, I guess, for whatever reason. Too many special artists. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, but I, I wasn't ready to do that show. I wasn't ready to compete on that show. And I couldn't be more grateful that I just did it anyways and that they, they brought me on that show anyways. You know, I was thrown into so many different styles. We, we really didn't sleep much. We really didn't. Um, it was c- quite a crazy environment. There were some nights where actually we didn't sleep because we would finish at eight or nine o'clock at night and they'd say, great, you have to perform for us at 7 a.m. and you need to make a three minute work with you and your you know, group. You know, So you actually didn't sleep. You stayed up all night and you worked on it. You tried to get an hour of sleep and you showed up exhausted. And, you know, and that was part of it. It's, it's a reality television show. I guess that's a part of the... The, uh, <laughs> the, the heightened drama. Yes, exactly. So there is a lot of that that goes on. But aside from that, I was really training like intensely every day in hip hop, 
in ballroom and in, in contemporary. Did you have classes too, or just rehearsals for the show you were doing? We had a week of like boot camp workshops that was like out of this world intense. Like it was like, I would think between six to 10 hours of training each day. So it was, it was a lot. I'm pretty sure one of our hip hop workshops went for like four hours straight. It was, it was crazy. Um, And then, you know, we knew about when you make it on the show, you, you have a month. So within that month, you're scrambling, trying to train. So I was doing ballroom lessons every day for like an hour just to try to make sure that, you know, I'm not actually going in there with zero ballroom, you know, and, you know, I say that I did a lot, but how much can you do in a month? I don't know. You can do as much as you can do, but (laughs) you can microwave that as much as you can. (laughs) But, you know, it, it was, it's a hurry up and wait environment. And when you're on, you're on. It doesn't matter if you need to use the washroom. It doesn't matter if you need time to stretch. You know, they don't wait for any of that. And I'm not saying that's a good environment to be used to. And I'm not saying that's a healthy environment, but it did really give me a strong backbone for moving into this career and being someone, especially if you are someone who's leading the room, generally speaking, you'll get the short end of the stick if you're trying to make everyone else in the room comfortable. So I was really okay with that. You know, like I had danced and choreographed for Red Sky Performance, which is a really hard thing to do to choreograph a 50 minute show and also dance as, you know, a lead member in the company within that show as well. That's not easy, but I think that I was able to cope with that and endure that because of all these moments, one of them in particular, you know, getting to experience something like So You Think You Can Dance Canada, where the environment was intense. It was a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I think when you're part of an experience that just surviving it, is remarkable yeah then you have that always it's like it's i think it's like if you jumped out of a plane at 4 p.m and you landed by five and you drove to the theater and you did a show i don't think you'd be nervous for the show yeah that's my theory i think and not just because like your adrenaline would be run out i think in relation once you've been through something that intense you're just like oh i'm kind of stretched now and so i'm like more flexible it's like I'm more mentally flexible. And so when someone's like, now I need you to juggle six plates, you're like, it's cool. I jumped out of a plane like earlier today. It's (laughs) fine. (laughs) Yeah. So it sounds like, so you think you can dance was that for you? It, It was, it was definitely that it really was. It really was. And it gave me the courage to put myself forward. If that makes sense, like to audition for certain things like Disney's Tarzan musical and really push for it and know that I wanted it. You know, it made me be like, okay, well, this isn't easy. And we know this is not easy. So, you know, and, and I know that nobody's watching me and no one's rooting me on and no one's cheering me on right now, but I'm still going to make it, you know, and I'm still going to push myself, you know, that's really cool. Um, what is your proudest So You Think You Can Dance moment? Ooh, I, I don't know. I don't know if I have a proudest So You Think You Can Dance moment. I think that um, I think that it was all just like a big, a big wave of of craziness, to be honest. So I, I really don't think I, I remember a proudest moment. It was all too overwhelming for me at the time. I think one of my favorite moments on the show that was like, obviously I didn't like it in the time, but I find it hilarious is I was going to do a solo. And I remember going up on stage to do that solo and I saw the audience and I heard them cheer and they cheered so loud. Get this. I didn't hear the music. So my music began 
And I didn't even know. And you see me start like a second or two late because I didn't even know. I couldn't hear the music over the people cheering. But like, I think about that now being like, wow, you were on a stage where people were cheering so loud that you couldn't hear your music to dance. Like, that's crazy. Like, I've never experienced that since because that would be ridiculous. (laughs) You know, just imagine going on stage and you're about to perform, but people are cheering so loud. You're, you're, you can't hear your music. That's it. It's (laughs) first world problems, right? (laughs) They're cheering too loud, honey. Sorry. Can't hear it. I missed it. Missed my cue. (laughs) Yeah. Did you, and you didn't get to like, say, Hey, rewind the tape. Like, let's do this again. No, 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 no. It was, it was live. This was live. I thought that was the deal where you get to like try it twice. It depends. Like when you audition and you do your solo, I think if you make it, you get to like redo it a few times and film it a different, a few different ways. You know, it's, okay. it's the magic of camera thing, you know? Yeah. I'll say one thing that that show really should have done day one in the auditions when all these dancers that you've never seen before are doing their like dopest tricks and everything is amazing. And they just cut to Nigel's face. And you're like, that guy just did 18 pirouettes. And we're just like watching some British guy look at him. <laughs> we're missing the dancing. Yeah. I, every, as a dancer, when yeah. I would see this like amazing hip hop thing. And then we're looking at like Mary Hart or whatever her name is. Yeah. And she's just like so moved. And it's like, what is she looking at? <laughs> Why aren't we looking at that? Um, so that's my one note for that show. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you feel like you've said enough on So You Think You Can Dance? Oh, no, I'm good with So You Think You Can Dance. I do think, though, like you had mentioned, like one of your favorite moments, and I'll try to be really brief with this, but one of my favorite moments like so far as a choreographer was a work I had actually done on the National Ballet School called Arise. And it was one of the most powerful things to see. You know, there was 110 students in that piece, but it was one of the most powerful things I've ever like watched especially my own work but it was it was so moving to see these dancers all be so committed to something and that's that's why it was so moving it was like watching 110 people almost like with a hive mind of like we are going to create something special for you and they did exactly that. And I couldn't have been more proud. And I think the, the, the key thing about me explaining Arise to you is I, I really do feel like that was a piece that kind of set things off for me in Toronto in, in the sense that it kind of triggered my relationship with the National Ballet. Because, you know, I, I believe that Karen Kane and Christopher Stoll had actually come and watched that work. And, and afterwards, they were talking to me about how interesting it was to see that I could work with such a large group and such a large number of dancers on stage. It's just, yeah, really, really special moment for me in my life and, uh, and something that I'll remember forever. And that's a great story. It's a great story. And that is a question I had later I was going to ask, like, of everything you've done so far, what is something you can point to that you're the most proud of? And you just answered it. That was it. Good job reading my mind. Um, get out of my head. <laughs> so something else I wanted to talk to you about is your Métis heritage and how you feel about that as an artist. You are a Métis artist, choreographer, and that falls under the umbrella of Indigenous. There's been a lot of conversation recently, especially about Canada as a whole, its relationship with the people who lived here before, with the Indigenous peoples. And it looks to me like there's a movement, or at least been talk of a movement. So what has this journey been like from the perspective of an Indigenous artist making his voice heard? 
For me, it's, it's been completely fascinating. And I'd say spiritually really rewarding. I grew up outside of the Métis community. I grew up outside of an indigenous community. And my grandfather, he reclaimed the heritage. And I found out about it when I was, you know, in my early teens. And for me, it's really, really important that I sort of reclaim that heritage. It's something that could have easily been lost within my family. And it's been very interesting, especially in the arts, because I have been approached to create Indigenous work or Indigenous-themed work. But as someone who grew up very much removed from their Indigeneity, it is almost ignorant for me to uh, create something if it comes from that place, if that makes any sense, if it isn't genuine to that place. You know, I am Métis, but but that doesn't mean I have an Indigenous story to tell all the time. I think that it's a very sensitive topic for me because right now I'm on a journey and I'm on the path of finding out where I belong within it. I'm really on, you know, my journey back to my Indigenous heritage. So uh, it puts me in a very interesting position. But I do believe that, you know, I, I just did a work recently with Prairie Theatre Exchange uh, and it's, it's a war being waged. And I got to choreograph on that work and I got to work with incredible Indigenous artists. Darla Contois is the, the playwright and it's just so empowering and it is so wonderful to know that these Indigenous voices are being heard more now and they are being put on stage and they are being given the space that they deserve. I think one thing for me is I, I don't want to take up space. I never want to take up space. I don't want to pretend I'm something that I am not. And I think that it's very early in my journey of reclaiming a heritage that I would love to belong to. And I, and I think I just need to find out what that means for myself. So I'm kind of in an in a interesting position where I am on one point sometimes being promoted as, as an Indigenous artist because I know that, you know, Indigenous artists are kind of being supported in a way that they should be more so than they used to be. And I guess what I'm saying is <laughs> it's, it's a very interesting position to be in because I was so separated from this community and this people, this Métis people. So it is very important for me, you know, to go back to Winnipeg, my great grandmother's from St. Boniface and to sort of reconnect. And of course, COVID has kind of put a little bit of a halt to that. Obviously it's put a halt to a lot of things, but it's really important for me to go back there and reconnect. And that might be just more a personal thing, but it means a lot to me. And I'm just happy to be involved with other incredible Indigenous artists. And I'm just happy that their voices are being heard and being put on these stages as they deserve to be. Do you feel like the representation is growing? And if so, is it growing at a positive rate? Is it enough? I read that nearly a third of the AGO, Art Gallery of Ontario, is now devoted to Indigenous artists. Speaking of, 
they have a new exhibit by Robert Hool. If we're in the same city mm -hmm. while it's running, I want to take you to the AGO. Let's go see that together. That would be awesome. And yeah, yeah, okay. that sounds great. Um, yeah. So, do you feel like it's improving? Because the, the, from the research I'm seeing, it's still not great. I I feel like there's a lot of work to be done. If that makes any sense, I feel like there's a lot of work to be done, and I do feel like it's improving. But you know, sometimes it's like there's a saying that I read recently. It's um, the forest for the trees, and it's almost like you can't see the forest for the trees because you're so caught up in this the fine print of things that you're not getting the whole picture. And I feel like sometimes we especially in Canada, we've, we've done that a lot. And I'm not, I'm not someone who dives into politics. And my favorite thing is just being tucked away in a studio creating. So I don't feel like this is something I actually have the merit to talk about. But I do think that some of the greatest storytellers that Canada has to offer are Indigenous. Some of the greatest stories I've heard and uh, so much rich history here that's been hidden and to be honest, that's been tucked away and pushed away and destroyed. And I just think that's obviously very painful. And, you know, there's a reason why I'm so distant from my heritage. There's a reason why my great grandmother didn't want to talk about being Métis and was happy to be thought of as Chinese because her husband was Chinese and everyone thought she looked Chinese. So that was it, you know? So there's a reason why, my grandfather had to reclaim a heritage that he should never had to have reclaimed. It should have already been there. What is one thing that you want to add to your list of accomplishments within the next five to 10 years? Well, I would love to do a full length work or yeah, a full length work on a major ballet company. I think that would be incredible. I haven't yet been commissioned for a full work. Uh, and I think that would be incredible. Would you want to do something brand new or like a story ballet or remake something else? I'd want to do something new. I think I'd want to do something. But a story? Yeah. Or abstract? Yeah. Oh, it would be, it would, you know, it'd be a story to me, but it might be abstract yeah. to the audience. Okay. <laughs> That's something when I choreograph, I always, I always have a story in my head. It doesn't need to be the story that the audience sees, but it needs to be pretty clear for me as the person leading it. You've seen all these videos on YouTube now of, like directors talking over their movie, like a scene in their movie. Yeah. Right. And so they're kind of telling you the behind the scenes. I can picture that with like soul with you, your audio over top of it. Like mm -hmm. this is what we were thinking here. And here's a story for this and that. Yeah. An idea. Mm -hmm. um, thank you, Jarrah, so much for being here. I've loved talking to you and I'm so happy to see all of the stuff moving in the right direction for you. Like it's beautiful. And I will watch soul again. The YouTube views are going to keep going up. Amazing. Do you want people to get in touch with you? If so, how do they do that? Well, I have a website. So you can go to my website. It's jerrowolf.com. It's pretty simple. And uh, you can follow me on Instagram as well. I'm not an avid social media kind of person, but you can follow me there. And I'm trying my best to kind of keep my followers up to date with what I'm doing. And yeah, if you're in Toronto, I'll most likely be presenting work in that area and choreographing and dancing. Looking forward to that. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at 22guys. Email us 22guyspod at gmail.com. Jera, we'll catch up in Toronto, okay? Keelan, thank you very much for this. It was really nice to see you.
Do you have a sense of belonging anywhere? Dance. Just dance. Dance. 